Hello and welcome to Bailey's Writing Tips Short Stories episode number 31, a series of four short stories every four weeks, usually being released on a Sunday evening UK time. To date, these have been the flash fiction that have appeared on my blog as Flash Fiction Fridays, and I'll give my email address out later should you like to submit your own. Today's stories are Christopher Farley with The Freedom Train, Flowers for a Flower, by Fanny Suto, hope I've pronounced that correctly. After one year in Ortar, Regan Greer discusses zombie neighbours by Joseph N. D. Picard. And then finally, the first batch of six word stories. And these are by Stefan Bols, DJ Patterson, Jen Squire, Kim Dalferes, Melanie Taylor, Ian Patterson, Kimberly Sperling, Tony Tibbenham. Morrison Bailey, and yours truly, Morgan Bailey. I won't be critiquing them, but just simply reading them out, and I hope you enjoy this format. The Freedom Train by Christopher Farley He closed his eyes for a second. He finally began to believe it really was over. The mountain of lies and the rivers, even oceans of deceit, no longer mattered. The affair was finally finished, and could now be considered a thing of his past, where it should stay. It had become like a tedious end-of-season football match, neither side wanting to lose, but both would be content if the referee blew time. Each had said their piece, and each had gone their separate way. The thought of returning to his old life before his spree as a shoplifter in the department store of infidelity, however, did little to console him at this moment. Neither did the radio, as the car cruised at a steady sixty, and he snapped it off. No man's land didn't exist in this situation. There were two fronts, opposed to each other, with no room for mud, poppies, or even barbed wire in the middle. Happiness was only momentary. Perhaps that's why it's so enjoyable, although this was an excuse and he knew it. It was an excuse for the times he could have tried harder at home before the affair, before things got so bad he threw himself into the arms of another. Did he really want to say goodbye to the stability of his old life, his real life? Well, finishing the affair would be a start, he thought. He tried imagining what his life was like before the interruption of the other woman. He found it hard, too hard in fact. He was having difficulty remembering what he did only the week before, So wrapped up was he in these last months. He pulled a used, slightly stiff tissue from his pocket and blew his nose. The rear-view mirror showed an empty freeway behind him. He accelerated to a heady 75. He thought about turning the radio back on, but decided he didn't want distractions. He tried to convince himself that he was back under control. This was a lie. The thought of returning to his former cardboard cut-out, passionless life filled him with dread. Did he really want that? Ahead, he noticed the huge, slow-moving freight train on the bridge crossing the freeway, half a mile distant. He watched the train, his mind whirring, and for him the train suddenly signified freedom. Freedom from everything. Images of Steinbeck novels and Depression-era hobos going to California filled his head. He drove. His right foot went to the floor, the accelerator pedal now digging into the ball of his foot, and the car urged forward, 
continuing to speed up. The half-mile had now become two hundred yards, and the car was fairly flying along. He grinned. He started to crane his neck up to watch the train, smiling like a religious revival convert. Fifty yards. Freedom, he thought. I can have freedom. At ninety-five miles per hour, grinning, he yanked the wheel to the right and watched the huge concrete bridge support fill his windscreen. Flowers for a Flower by Fanny Suto Flowers for a flower, he said, smiling stupidly. I could see he thought himself mighty original, but I tell you, he wasn't. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to chase him off however pathetic he was, so I just smiled. My mother taught me to smile in an enigmatic way, and showed me the replica of an Italian painting, a woman on whose lips the shadow of a smile was playing. I was also told that people had been mesmerised by that lady for centuries, and my mother knew what she was talking about. She was a court lady, the Violet of Versailles, she was called, and her irresistible smell caused the downfall of many a noble men. It wasn't the fault of my mother. They should have known better. Men, they're so easy, so simple. They always realise it too late that something is wrong, and then they, of course, become angry, come flashing their swords and torches. Eventually they killed my mother, and I have no doubt they would have killed me had they known about me. However much my mother loved me, I was still a stain on her reputation, so I was tucked away into the countryside. She would come to see me as often as she could, wearing that night purple gown and the hood covering her face. She would sit down at my feet and tell me all about the comings and goings of the world. A few more years, she said, and I would be old enough to leave the nurturing ground of the country and become a lady like her. But she died before my coming of age. Now I am almost ready. I just need to gather some more strength. I kept smiling at this fool and forced a blush on my cheeks. It is most kind of you, I said, and bowed a little, in a way that my curves became perfectly visible. It was his turn to blush. I had to take it slow, bringing him closer and closer to myself. Oh, it is a small nothing, this light green velvet gown really fits you if I may say so. It brings out the greenness of your eyes, he said in a shaking voice. He's really trying. Good. He just needs to come a little bit closer. I bat my eyelids. I would argue with you, my dear knight, I said in a soft, soft voice. My eyes are grey. No, they're definitely green, he said stepping a bit nearer. Maybe you can't see well enough. Come on, band a little closer. You will see they are as grey as a thundercloud. And he was leaning closer and closer, looking deep in my eyes. I gave him a wide, real smile as he licked his lips, waiting for a kiss. I opened my mouth and swallowed him in one big bite. I was a meat-eating flower, after all. 
After One Year in Autar, Regan Greer Discusses Zombie Neighbours by Joseph Picard. It's not like the movies, you know. Yes, there's dead people that would like to chomp little old me. And yes, it's a matter of survival. I guess I'm lucky. The zombies lose interest after a couple of hours and wander away when I can hole up in my house. In the movies, they never stop. Then again, in the movies, you can shoot them in the head and they stay down. Overall, it's not a bad neighbourhood, for the city of Ortar, anyway. I've been here for about a year and settled in pretty well. There's enough food and no other humans competing. Fresh fruit is a putrid memory, as are a lot of things, but there's a ton of stuff that doesn't spoil. Water's not an issue either. Other than damage during the evacuation, stuff doesn't break much in this city. 2pm, snack time. I pull the giant stone planter away from the door to the outside and peek around. No trouble right now, just sunshine. City-grade sunshine, but sunshine nonetheless. I walk on the overgrown grass. City parks aren't cared for very well after the zombies moved in. I get to the canteen. It's part of the same building, but you can't access it from inside my house. I keep my sweets here. Why? Because if I keep the sweets in my house, I'll get fat. It feels normal to go to the store. And the imaginary clerk is hot. She leans over all the time to let me see down her top. I imagine her in different outfits, all really low cut. She has freckles. Mm, freckles. I take the day's candy bar and imagine that she tells me it was no charge with a seductive wink. I haven't decided what her eye colour is yet. Blue today? Nah. I imagine inviting my imaginary friend over for some fun later. To hell with it. I like the sound of a human voice, even if it's my own. And I have a nice voice, if I do say so myself. Mmm, you delicious thing, you, I purr. A hand appears. It's grey, dead flesh, slapping down on the counter as the zombie pulls himself up. It groans, as they always do, and now I can smell it. You son of a bitch! You ate the imaginary hottie! Well, no, but I'm motivated anyway. I skip back and double-check if we've attracted others. Not yet. I pull forward my trusty P90, laden with fun stickers because it's my lead-spitting baby. Come on, deadhead. I'm not going to shit you while I risk spraying my canteen with your guts. When he's far enough back, staggered into position, I run to the side, towards my home door, so that Splatter won't land anywhere I need to go. The zombies I killed rotted really fast. In a few days there's never a trace. I have theories about that. One zombie isn't much of a threat if you're armed and have some elbow room. Know how I said that shooting them in the head was useless? That's not really true. They don't need their heads to live but they keep their eyes there. If they can't see you, you're harder to find. Seems they can still hear. Can't bite you with no mouth, but they can kill with their hands, rippy and painful. I take aim and pull the trigger. Clump, clump. That's the sound of the trigger getting jammed on a sticker. I've overdone stickers and don't have time to fix it now. I've gone hand to hand with them before. My knife should be enough. I stow the P90 and go in to take care of those pesky eyes. That's dumb. 
I have the knife buried in an eye socket, and he grabs my wrist with both hands. As long as I can hold the knife with the right leverage, the blade in the eye, he can't get his teeth on my arm. I yank to get loose and refocus my attack, but he holds on tight enough that all my effort just sends us to the ground with him on top. See, this is a movie moment. The monster on top of the girl trying to kill, but the camera misses a lot. The smell, the eyeballed innards dripping onto your cheek. The feel of cold, loose flesh, stronger than yours, grabbing mindlessly. My instinct urges me to stick my free thumb into the other eye socket. That's similarly dumb. I've been jaded by the gore long ago, but I'd never had my thumb in an eyeball. I'm nauseous, and he's unfazed. Blindness doesn't affect him much since he's on top of me. I need to change that. He's strong, but not heavy. I roll us over, still careful to avoid his teeth. From there, I push down on his eye sockets and push myself to, up to straddle him. Wow. I mean, wow. Am I glad I wasn't going commando? One thing I found out about these guys is that while their muscles are strong, their bones are not. While he grabs at me, I pull the P90 back around and mashed at his arms with the butt of it. A few good mashes to the face, too. I jump off him and watch this ex-human trying to stand with broken arms, moan with half a head. I feel the thing's blood dripping on me. In the movies, this is the moment where the hero sinks back, stares at the creature with pity and revulsion, sees the damage, sees the vitria stuck to the knife. The hero looks at their hands and realises how brutal they've become and questions everything. In the movies. For me, it was a Tuesday. A block away, a moderate mob was shambling my way. No more looking for my brother today, it seemed. And now for something a little different. From the end of July 2013, I opened submissions to six-word stories, accompanied by six-word biographies, and received pieces from nine guest authors. The final two are ones I wrote. Here I'll be reading the author's biography first, then their six-word stories. The biographies for the three longer pieces read out earlier will follow later, if that makes sense. Okay, the first six-word story, but first the six-word biography. Stefan Bolls, thetreefeathers.com. Go, Froggy, go. And his six-word story? From now on, only memories remain. And then second, we have DJ Patterson, reader, writer, arithmetica et al. And he sent in two six-word short stories. I mouthed help, but Ben saw. And secondly, for sale, house keys, owner's photo. And then Jen Squire, jensquire.blogspot.co.uk, you're being watched. It's her biography. And she also sent in two short stories. He uses his pauses very effectively. And the second one, Insomniac, teased by lovers, sleep, ease. And then we have two from Kimba Dalferes. KimbaDalferes.com Tall Tales Teller. Her first six-worder is 
She smiled as bail was posted. And her second short story, Enjoying Therapy Always Surprised Her Husband. And then two by Melanie Taylor, bilingual, dreamer, digitally conscious. Her first piece. Unfortunately, McZombie won't serve human flesh. And secondly, Vintage Chanel Shoes Mine. Auntie died. And then we have two by humorist Ian Patterson. ianpatterson.com Follow at author Ian. And Ian is spelled I-A-I-N. And his two pieces. Princess widowed after snogged frog croaks. And secondly. Custer forgot fortune favours the braves. Then we have one from Kimberly Sperling, mum, realtor, writer, friend. And her six-word story, secrets, his, hers, and now this. And then we have two from Tony Tibbenham, writing because I must. That's his biography. And then two, his two pieces are fast car, wet corner for funerals. And secondly, short tales, no time, swift edit. And last, last but one, we have Morrison Bailey, writer under exhaustion. As the rain fell, umbrellas rose. And secondly, worked for money, got sore feet. And finally, two from yours truly, Morgan Bailey. And my biography is Morgan Bailey on my website morganbailey.wordpress.com forward slash me it's my um, page all about me and is Morgan with an E and my two pieces were loved, lost but will love again and secondly on diet, calories used chewing thumb and now a little about the authors of the main stories I read earlier Christopher Farley he lived a sheltered life in the wilds of Kent, from where he was saved by the written word, so much so that he still corresponds with certain people with a pen and paper. Upon moving to London, a bit, little bit like Dick Whittington, searching for streets of gold, he happened upon a beautiful Italian lady who later decided to take him to the sunny realms of southern Switzerland, where he can still be found, smiling inanely, continuously in search of vice beer. When he's not working or drinking, he sits in front of the computer, searching for fictional inspiration. You can find Chris via his blog, christopherfarley.wordpress.com. Fanny Suto is a 23-year-old poet and fiction writer. She writes in English and Hungarian and finds inspiration in reading, painting and music. She doesn't mind travelling either. Her heaven would be a library with an endless supply of coffee lattes, and cupcakes with an endless screening of Doctor Who. She's been featured in numerous magazines and anthologies in Hungary and has also been accepted to an English Roehampton Writing Society anthology and an Australian publication Tincture Journal. Her website is taleshrine.wordpress.com and I will be putting these links on this episode's page of my blog. And finally, born in 1976, Joseph N. D. Picard has lived all over Canada but has called the Meadow Ridge area of BC his home since 1992. 
While cycling to his job as a computer technician, he got into a fight with a car in 2001. The car won, and Joseph became a T5-6 paraplegic. This has not hampered his chances at winning the Super Bowl, as he's been a self-declared nerd for as long as he can remember. Since his injury, he's focused on his writing, and a little on his art, much of which is related to his fiction, and can be found at ozero.ca, as O-Z-E-R-O dot C-A. In May 2007, he became the proud father of Caitlin, followed in 2011, a son, Lachlan. He awaits the day that stem cells or super awesome tele- telekinetic fight powers will allow him to unfurl his black trench coats yet again. Joseph also has a blog, is on Facebook, Tumblr, and his books are available on Lulu, Amazon and Smashwords. And as I said, I'll put the links on this episode's page of my blog. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to bringing you another episode of four short stories in four weeks' time. All the links mentioned in these shows are listed on the podcast short stories page of my blog, which is morganbailey.wordpress.com. And the spelling of my name is M-O-R-G-E-N bailey.wordpress.com. And my email address is morgan at morganbailey.com. The podcast is available via iTunes, Google's Feed Burner, Podbean, when it catches up, Podcasters, which takes even longer, or Podcast Alley, which doesn't list the episodes but will let you subscribe.